once again, good morning. Great to be here this morning. Um, I know for some of you guys, um, all you've heard, right, if you've just been visiting our church for the last month and a half, we've been in the same sermon series, The Names of God, and you're like, whoo, okay, I'm ready for something new. Well, here it is, okay, we have finished, and let me tell you, it's never, it never gets old talking about God and who He is. Um, but I am introducing a new sermon series this morning called Come to the Table. And as you can see, okay, I have a prop up here with me this morning. And so um, ladies from the Lydia room, you might recognize this. I did ask permission. Okay, I didn't just steal it out of there. But maybe this morning when you went in for Sunday school, you're like, whoa, something's missing. Well, it's is my dinner table, okay? Um, and it is heavy. And thank you, Tom and Don, for all your help to help me get it up here. This is not a drag it out yourself type of job. Um, but as we talk for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking into God's Word at stories um, of how the table is involved. And so this morning I'm going to be talking about the invitation, how the Lord has given each and every one of us an invitation to come and dine, to come to His table. And I think of that song, and I sang it um, growing up, come and dine, the calleth, come and dine. And so as we look this morning, um, I want to challenge you guys. There's very practical things that we can take away at the end. But before we do, um, if you've noticed, right, different tables are built differently. Some of them are sturdy and strong. Some are flimsy and weak. But I would say most people can probably all agree about one thing that a table is usually used for, okay? And so I think the number is anywhere from 95 to 100%, and I'm going to test my theory this morning, because on the count of three, I want you to say the word that you associate a table with, okay? Does everybody got it? So one, two, three. All right, so I heard very clearly, food, right? And then I heard someone say, eat out there. Were there any that I missed? Family. Good. Somebody say anything else? Thanksgiving. All right. Yes. Thanksgiving. Well, here was my phrase. Tables are meant for meals. And I went back and forth. Should I write food? Should I put eating? Should I put meals? But everybody kind of agrees like we know what a table is used for. Not, I know sometimes we use them for yard sales and different things. But overall, when we think of a table, we think of a meal. And so as I put up a meal, like this is one of those pretty picture meals, right? Um, this is probably not reality. But I just want to show you how a table looks that's empty. It just doesn't look right. Something's missing. So here's a picture of a table, maybe a coffee shop or something, empty. All right, picture number two. This looks perfect, but just there's not right. Picture number three. There it is, right? There's hands, there's dishes, there's bright colors, and this is probably a little healthier than most of our kitchen meals look like, right? There's no fried chicken and potatoes on here um, and gravy, but when we think of a table, right, I think of us coming together, us fellowshipping. I loved whoever said family, right? This is a place to connect. This is a place to belong. And as we're talking this morning, I want you guys to know that, that this is what we need to think of when we think about the Lord's table. It's a place that we come together and we spend with loved ones. And so for the next five weeks leading up to our Thanksgiving meal, we're going to be talking about the table. And some of you guys are like, we can talk about food all Sunday long. This is good. I'm with you, Brett. Amen. Um, but there are some challenges involved in this. And this table 
is something that I want to just dive into just a little bit this morning. But unfortunately, okay, and this is something that as I did my research, I was reading different articles, table time, right, if you will, time at the table has drastically decreased over the last 20 to 30 years. Why is that? Why are people spending less and less time at a dinner table? Well, life is moving at such a fast pace that we find ourselves running short on time. And so what do we do? We try to take a shortcut. We try to do things that are quicker. And so most people find themselves running through a drive-thru to grab a quick bite tea. Anybody? When you're running low on time, run through the drive-thru, pick something up. We no longer have the time to sit down and fellowship around the table. Here's the crazy part, too. Some people have the time, but don't see the importance of talking, spending time, and breaking bread together. And so I did some research, and I was looking into some statistics, and as I was looking, these are some things that I would say probably aren't shocking to us, but is almost a little bit sad as we're looking at it this morning. So here's a few things that as I was reading about the table, here's as Americans as a whole, some of you guys, this may not relate to you, some of you, this may be you, an average American eats one in every five meals in the car. Oh, one in every five meals. So every, at least every other day, not at a table, in a car. How many, of, does that shock you? No? All right, here's my second statistic that I saw. One in four Americans eat a fast food meal every single day. Whoa, that one did shock me, right? One in every four. And then check out this last one. And I know it's a little bit hard to describe, but I just, I didn't know how to word it better, okay? Majority of American families report eating less than a single meal together less than five days a week. So there really has been a decrease of time at the table. And let me tell you, this makes me sad. It makes me kind of go, man, we're really missing out on something. And this is not my main point for this morning. I'm not saying you need to feel guilty for not eating at the table or eating out. That's not my point. But I do want to say I think there's a great emphasis that we need to place on getting back to the table. As family, spending time together to laugh to cry, to share meals, to come together for fellowship. Because I think of so many happy memories that I have, and I had growing up at the Jones family dinner table. And this past summer, uh, my dad had to sell his house, right? He had four kids. We're all grown up now. We've moved out. And so the house was just a little bit too big. The outside was too much upkeep. And he goes, kids, he brought us all together. I got a downsize. I'm selling, and a lot of the furniture and different things are going with it. You guys can come in, and you can take as much as you want, take anything you want, right? Otherwise, it's going to the auction. So I went in, grabbed a few things that I thought were sentimental or special. They're just still sitting in my garage to this day. <laughs> I haven't gotten very far, right? Um, this was this past summer, and we went to the auction, helped my dad out, and weirdly, there was one thing on that day that happened, that sold, that I kind of got a little bit sad about. Anybody want to guess what it was? The table. And I didn't think that because as I was looking through all the different things, like we grabbed a king-size bed and we grabbed some tools of my dad's and stuff like that, and I looked at the table and I was like, that's special to me, but it's big, it's bulky, and I just didn't have room in my current house. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with it until maybe we get our next biggest house 
But I loaded up that table into that stranger's pickup bed that day, and I thought, man, made me a little sad because there's so much that happens at a table. Life happens at the table. And I remember sitting down as a kid being, you can't get up until that plate is clean. Anybody else? Right? And you're like trying to shove it in the napkin, you know, or there's an animal, a dog you're trying to sneak it to. Like we've all been at the table and like, I got to get away from this thing. But there's something unique. And this is found not only in American culture, this is from cultures all around the world. Because the table is kind of this universal place for you to belong. The table is a place for you to really know what's going on in the lives of others. And so as we look at this concept, right, we've got five weeks and we're going to unveil it a little bit more. Next week we're looking at Jesus reclining at a table. But I want to do the introduction this morning and show you how it is an invitation. And we understand what an invitation is. Um, Many of you guys are familiar with Facebook and there's different events that happen and invitations are sent out. And you then are supposed to respond, right? There's the going, check mark, right? Y'all know this. The not going, the X, and then right in the middle. You guys know what it says? Maybe. And you know what? Unfortunately, okay, this is me sometimes, I don't know what I'm going to do. And what do we do? Click. Right in the middle. We're undecided, right? They don't know if we're coming. They don't know if we're going. We have not made a decision. Well, this morning I want to show you that's not how this invitation works. There's two responses. You're either accepting this invitation to come to his table or you're rejecting his table, his invitation to come to the table. And so about a year ago, um, we had a shutdown for COVID. We had two weeks. Do you guys remember that? I remember it very well because the very first week that we shut down was my week to preach. And I was preaching on September the 6th, 2020. I remember it so clearly. And I stood up in front of an empty room with only the four people who sang that morning, and I was preaching about a great banquet to an empty crowd. (laughs) And I know everyone was there. I was looking at the camera, trying to imagine everybody, but to have a great banquet, you need people. And so it was this weird, awkward tension that morning of trying to talk about a banquet with no one in the room. Well, this morning, I'm kind of coming back to it. It's not the same passage in Luke, but I'm looking at a passage in Matthew. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, and it's talking about a wedding feast. And this is one where it's a parable that Jesus is sharing. And we we know parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so we're going to look at this story, and there's not a specific table mentioned in this one, okay? But when you have a wedding feast, what do you have to have, right? Tables for the food to be at. And so Let's jump into this story this morning, and let's look at what I believe the Lord wants to teach to us this morning from this passage. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen, but I encourage you to follow along as I read this passage. 22 verse 1, and again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they could not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. 
but they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And I know as we're reading that story together, right, it started off really exciting about this wedding feast, and then we got down to the very end, and you're like, Brett, you kind of could have just left that part out of there, right? Like, this is supposed to be a time to celebrate, but I want to show you the full picture. I want to make sure that we're reading Scripture accurately and we know what the consequences are for those who say, I don't want to be a part of this wedding, right? So we're backing it up. In this parable, there's a king, and he has a son. And what's he about to do? He's about to get married, and they're going to throw this wedding feast. And Rogers said this, and I think you guys have caught this, but culturally during the biblical time, a wedding feast was not just a one-night thing, right? This was seven days of them coming together to celebrate. And when they threw a party, they threw a party. They were going to have some fun. And if you do see Jewish weddings to this day, they still celebrate with a lot of energy and excitement. We kind of catch it, but not exactly to the full potential. And so the king sends out his servants and says, hey, if you want to come to this wedding feast, right, come on. But notice what it says. Call all those who are invited But here's the sad reply. What does it say there? They would not come. And you're going, well, why in the world would someone who's been invited to a wedding feast of a king not come? Well, keep reading. It'll show us. He sent other servants saying, those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. So maybe they didn't get the first invitation and realize like, hey, it's now. Everything's ready. It's all prepared. I imagine it's like mom saying, hey, kids, come to the table. Dinner's ready. It's hot. Sometimes in my family, I make breakfast for my wife in the morning. And to let her know, this is my phrase, hot brekkie, hot brekkie, right? Then I do the warning call, medium warm brekkie, right? At the end, cold brekkie. Come get your cold brekkie, right? But it's ready. But how do they respond? But they paid no attention And went off. We think that our culture is very different, and in some ways it is, but human beings always respond the same. Why are these people not coming? They don't have the time. One says, off to his farm. Another, to his business. There's things we have to do. There's things that we think is more important than coming to this feast, than coming to the table. And as I look at this, right, he's done all the work. 
all we have to do is show up. We get to be invited to this feast. And think about this for a second. Who would you normally think is going to come to a feast of a king? Nobility, right? Other people who belong. Knights, right? People who are famous, princesses, princes and princesses. Oh, it's hard to say. Whew. These are the people that we think are supposed to come. But he's inviting every single person. Remember, we want to figure out what this parable is trying to say. And many people say this first group that rejected him represent Israel. God told his chosen people, here's my covenant with you. Come and be with me. Come and accept me. Come to my table. And some did, but many people rejected him. They chose to worship other gods. They forsook him. They didn't follow his commandments. And that's, that's us today too. So Israel rejected him. And then look at the response. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Like God's people were carried off they were judged because of their actions. But look at verse 8, and this is the part that I love reading about, because this is us. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Right? Israel has cast me off. But catch this. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite the wedding, to the wedding feast as many as you find. Here's the invitation now. Come. Hey, you. Come to the feast. Hey, you, come to the feast. You, come. This is us as Gentiles being accepted in. And I know what some people say, and they go, well, we're just an afterthought. Oh, no. This was the Lord's plan all along. He's been adopting people into his family. Read the Old Testament a little closer. There's been Gentile believers grafted in all the way through. But this was our invitation. This is us saying, here it is. Will you come. And so the servants went out into the roads and they gathered. Notice this. They're getting everyone together. All whom they found. And look who it describes. Who's at this table, right? Who are they inviting? Both the good and the bad. Our actions, our worth doesn't determine if we get to be invited. Look what it says. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And man, let me tell you, this morning, if I wasn't able to see you all and if I had to be preaching again, this would be a downer, right? But I see everyone this morning. I see the church room full. And hopefully, like, we're preaching this series all the way up to Thanksgiving. That day, it's just full. And everyone's excited. There's a buzz in the air. That's what I imagine, the king coming out and seeing all these people. But 11 through 14 is a, is a kind of like wake-up call. Look what it says here. When the king came in to look at his guest, right? He's so proud of his son. This moment is awesome. He saw a man who had no wedding garment. Now, we miss this, once again, culturally. When we come to weddings today, we try to dress up a little bit nice, right? We put on our attire. If it's a casual wedding, you know, out in the country somewhere, blue jeans and a dress shirt will work. But most of the time, we try to put on our best for a wedding. Well, during this time, they host would provide the wedding garments for the guests. Because whether you were rich, whether you were poor, whether you had a lot or you had a little, they wanted every single person to feel accepted and to feel like they belonged. So here's what we're looking at. At this wedding guest, the host would have sent out these garments, but catch this, he comes to a man who has no wedding garment. Well, here's what I think is happening here. The garment represents Christ clothing us. 
He's the one who makes us clean in his sight. We are not righteous without his work on the cross. And so what the king is seeing is there's someone who's come to be a part of this feast, to be a part. He's said, oh, I heard the invitation, but he's not dressed accordingly. He's there on his own account. He's there on his own actions. And he might have thought he was good or he might have thought he was bad, right? The invitation went out to all. But in this moment, he, is not, he does not have on the garment. He is not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Do you see this, ladies and gentlemen? He rejected the offer. And if we're not careful, we're going to have people today that are just coming to the wedding feast and have no clue what's required of them. So look as we keep going with this incredible meal that's happening at the table. The king has invited us. This man was speechless. He didn't know how to respond. And the king said to the attendants, bind him and cast him out. Look at that last verse in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. And I know that's a hard concept to grasp this morning, but many still reject this message. He has called them to come, to join him, no part, because they want to do their own thing. They'd rather go to the farm, go to the business. And here's the truth of it. We are not worthy, no one. Right? Israel, they rejected. We rejected him too. Our hands are covered in his blood. We crucified him because of our sin. But he sees our sinful nature. He knows what we have done. And yet he says, I'm still offering you a seat at my table. Now this morning, I only have four seats, right? I could say, hey, everyone come to my table, but you're not all going to fit, right? But imagine this morning, if I did, all of a sudden, I made a hot breakfast appear. And everybody would be like, whoa, because there's some of you out here who are rushing around this morning and you miss breakfast. And I would be like, all right, who hasn't had breakfast? Raise your hand. And then if I called you up one by one, how special would that feel? Right? Because someone is providing for you. We are not worthy of his provision, but yet he says, come. Come to my table. All we have to do, ladies and gentlemen, is join him at the table. Surrender our lives and faithfully serve him there's a song by the sidewalk prophets and this is their song come to the table and it says sit down and be set free that's what i'm offering you guys this morning not because it's something i have to give you but this is the invitation from the lord so there's three quick things that i want to share about the table this morning and let me tell you there was so many things i tried to really make it concise to really make it to where you can walk out of here going, these are three important things. Here's the first one. His table is for the broken. Right? I said this earlier. When we think about coming to the table, right, the king's table, we think about those people who maybe deserve it. Or maybe we think about those people who are royalty. But he says, I want those who are broken. Listen to what Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 says. Come to me all who labor who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice what the master is saying here. Come to me, but if you will this morning, come to my table, all of you who labor, heavy laden. That's not a phrase we use today, but here was my translation. Those who are burdened, those who are afflicted, those of you who are down and out, come to me. Why do we end up burnt up 
worn out, heavy laden? Because we're trying to keep up with the cares and the wishes of the world. The world will wear you out. It'll leave you exhausted. It'll leave you tired. It'll leave you feeling frail, like you have nothing more to give. But look what the Father says. Come to me, and I will be the one who gives you rest. There's another passage that I think of, and it's actually in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Um, but it's Jesus quoting, reaching back into the Old Testament, because Jesus has come to the synagogue. Right? And this is a magical moment. He's coming to the synagogue in Nazareth, right? and he's getting ready to read. They hand him the scroll. He unrolls it. It's the scroll, Isaiah. And he reads about what the Messiah is going to do, who he has come to save. And so this is what Isaiah 61, verse 1 says, and this is what Jesus is quoting in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Right? Can you imagine as he starts quoting this what the people are thinking? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So why do I say his table is for the broken? Here's why. We're all broken. We all fall short. And some of you may be walking out there this morning going, nope, not me, I got it all together. We'll just keep walking. This world will show you really quickly how flawed we really are, how much we're in need of a Savior. And once again, this is the king. Come. Come. You're like, I'm messed up. I know. Come to my table. That's who I want. Those of you who don't feel like you have any worth, those of you who feel like the world does not care about you, Come be a part of my family. Come to my table. The second thing I want you guys to see this morning is his table allows for us to belong. Right? When we were talking about the family table, when we talk about gathering together, right? That's your people. You gather with them. You belong. Well, let me tell you, the same thing is true of the Lord's table. And I want to read, it's a little bit of a lengthy story, and I ran out of time, so I don't have the slides up here, okay? You're going to have to follow along and listen carefully. But at the very end of the book of John, in chapter 21, okay, I'm going to read some of this, um, so follow along with me. Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been risen, and now he's starting to reveal himself to some of his disciples. So that's the context of chapter 21, Look what it says in verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got to the boat. And I'm going to pause there for a second. So Jesus is gone. And the disciples are kind of like, what do we do now? We've just spent three and a half years of our life following this man, being with him every single moment, and now he's gone? What do we do? Well, they did what any other person would do. They went back to what they did before they found Jesus. So they're all looking around like, hey, what's up? And Peter's like, let's go fishing. Okay? They're like, yeah, that sounds good. That's what we're good at. But if you read scripture, and I think this is hilarious, and I laugh at this every time, like, how good are they at fishing, right? They're not as professional as we think because that night they caught nothing. 
Right? This isn't the first time that his disciples have caught nothing. And maybe they were good fishermen, but the Lord just allowed this so he could teach them, right? But just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was him. Right? And just picture this. These guys are out fishing. Their Savior's gone. They're a little discouraged. And now verse 5 reads for us, Jesus said to them, but we don't know. They don't know. And this person goes, children, do you have any fish? Professional guys fished all night. No. Hey, what was that? Do you have any fish? No. What? No, we don't have fish. We didn't catch anything, right? We're bad at our jobs. No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, here's where the gears start cranking a little bit for these guys. Because if you read back earlier, this is how Jesus called them. When they were fishing, they hadn't caught anything, and here Jesus is again, and some of them kind of start like thinking, looking around, like you ever had that moment? Here it is. So they cast it, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, by the way, therefore said to Peter, like John, like in this moment, the nets get heavy, the boat starts like, Peter! It's the Lord. We know who this is. He's done this before. Peter doesn't think at all, right? No thoughts, strips off the coat, jumps into the water, sprints to the shore, and there he is. Can you imagine this? He's there, soaking wet, exhausted probably, standing in the presence of his Savior. And notice, like, it's kind of a little bit weird of an interaction, but really cool, right? So verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. So Jesus apparently has built a fire with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. And like the writers wants to make sure we know exactly how many fish, right? It's 153, like be amazed. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. But look at this verse. This is the one I want us to focus. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Why is that so important? Because if you read just a few chapters before, Peter's at the table, if you will. The Lord says, someone's going to deny me. He's close with him. No way. I'm yours He's the one who confessed, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's confession, like, this is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. I'm not going to be the one. He strayed. He denied three times. And can you have that moment, right, when you let someone down and then you see them again? There's a little bit of that pit in your stomach of, are we still good? Do I belong here? And Jesus' words were what? Come. Come have breakfast with me fellowship with me i know once again no physical table there but on that beach there it was peter you belong with me i want you you're mine and there were those other disciples seeing this happen and i bet you jesus didn't say oh this is just for peter no no come on everyone let's have breakfast just like we used to if you will, Jesus, let's have a good old day moment, fellas. Things have changed. And as that conversation continues, some of you know, right? I, I think they laughed. 
I think they cried. I think stories were shared. This is my imagination, but come on, believe it with me. But then we see Jesus having a serious moment because there's serious moments that happen at the table. When they had finished this breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? How does Peter? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Ask him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, whichever translation you read. And it says a third time the Lord asked Peter, do you love me? And the writer says that Peter was grieved because he had just felt like what? We're good. I belong. Everything's awesome. But the Lord corrects him a little bit in this moment, doesn't he? What is he really saying? Peter, if you love me, to be at my table, you have to follow me. You have to obey my commands. And I think a lot of us were missing that part. We want to be all about the king's table, but do our own thing. When you sit down at his table, you're saying you belong to him. And you're saying, I will be obedient to you. That's what it means to belong. Because I remember moments sitting down at my dad's table. And you know how I joked earlier? Eat your peas, right? Eat your veggies before you get up. Like, he had the authority at that table. I was at his table. We are at the king's table. And he says, come. But now I want to see this life lived out. We shouldn't be afraid guys, of what it means to live out for Jesus. Our works don't save us. Hear me. I'll say that all day long. Don't miss that. But works prove our salvation. James talks about it. It lets the lost world see that he is our king. Look at this last one. Not only is his table for the broken, not only is his table a place where we can belong, but his table offers us a blessing. Think about that for a second. How blessed we are to have an invitation to his table. If you faithfully spend time at his table, you will experience the blessings of the Lord. All throughout scripture, we see the Lord urging his people to come and be close to him. I've been preaching this on Wednesday nights to my students. We're doing a four-part series on draw near. In James chapter 4, verse 8, Right? The Lord gives an incredible challenge, but also an invitation and a promise all in one. He says, draw near to me. You guys know the second part? I will draw near to you. But he's literally saying, come, get close to me. And when we do, we experience a blessing. And I want to make sure I paint this very clearly this morning. Some people want to be at his table for all the things that they're going to receive, but that's not the reason why we come to the table. We come to the table because that's where he is. That's his presence. That's when we meet with him. And trust me, like there is blessings for being at his table. I think of when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. He, right? They're like, hey, how do we pray? Teach us. Our Father, which art in heaven, right? We're seeking the Father who's in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These are the important things. Your will, your kingdom. Give us this day our daily what? 
bread. Now, once again, culturally, we run to the refrigerator, we run to the freezer, we run to the extra freezer out in the garage, the extra freezer down in the basement. Like, you people from Missouri, right? You have these things? This is Missouri, folk. We have so much food. We have pantries full of food. We miss what he's saying because them, culturally, they didn't have refrigerators. They still knew how to preserve things and can things, sure. But they had to seek out their meals every single day. That's what the Lord is saying when he's like, come to the table, come and experience me every single day. This isn't a foreign concept. The people in the Old Testament, when they were in the wilderness, he provided manna for them, but... If they gathered up too much, what happened? They rotted. He wanted them what? To daily go and gather the bread. So when we're gathered at his table, we're seeking his presence. We are fed when we're at the table, but it's not just about being fed. We're there to encounter the king. We're there to spend time with the master. And I hope that through this sermon series, maybe that's the one thing that you take away that you've allowed to maybe slip in your life, that you haven't been spending time with him. You haven't been drawing near to him. And this is just the reminder. And you know, something that I've done in the past, and maybe this is for you, when you wake up in the morning, you go to your kitchen table and you imagine it's his. And you sit there and you go, Lord, I know it's just my humble kitchen table, but I'm imagining this is yours. Speak to me this morning. Lord, let me hear. And you just have, I know your spouse probably going to think you're crazy. Your kids are going to look at you a little weird and like, Mom, who are you talking to? I'm having time. I'm at his table. And if that's what it takes, then get there. Some of you have your spot in your house, your prayer closet, your place that you read. That's the table. You are going to spend time with him. What a blessing it is church members, to spend time at his table. And that's what I really want us to focus on, but I also want to give some practical truth to this as well. I want to challenge us, because I do think that time at the table now is important. Like, one day we're looking forward to his table in heaven. But we can't miss opportunities now, because in that parable, there were servants that went out. And what was those servants' job? Tell of the wedding feast. Well, let me tell you, that's what our job is. We're those servants who are going, you're welcome, you're invited, come. Well, let me give you a very practical way. There's going to be three challenges that we're going to do. Okay, there's five weeks, so obviously you can't do all of them probably in the first week. I don't want this to stress you out. Okay, some of you are planners, right, and you're going to need some time for this. But here's some practical ways of our church. When we're talking about coming to the table, I want to live it out. I don't want it to just be something of, oh, that was a good sermon. We need to do that. But here's how we put some bite to it, if you will. Here's the challenge. Invite a church member to join you at the table. Now you're saying, well, that's pretty easy. I have my best friend, and I'm going to invite them over today. And that's not what I'm saying. I want you to look around. Because in a church of this size, there's some people that you've probably seen. You may not know their name, but you recognize them. But I want to encourage you to invite them to your table, to share a meal with them. And I know some of you are thinking, well, we can take them out to the table. No, no, no. I'm pushing you further. I want them in your home, right? 
And hear me, some of you, that's probably all you can do, and that's a start. But there's something special about opening up your home and inviting people in. My mom and dad did this incredible growing up. On Sunday afternoons after church, there was always someone in my house. And I never really got what they were doing until I got older. Any new person that ever came, they got invited over. Because my mom and dad wanted them to feel like they belonged. Like they were accepted. They were welcomed. And when you sit down and when you have someone into your home, guess what you're doing? You're saying, here I am. You're sharing a little bit of them with you. And I'm hoping that we do that continually. That after this five weeks is up, this is something that you just incorporate back into your life and you're just inviting people into your life to fellowship with you. The second one. If you thought one's uncomfortable, get ready for number two, okay? Inviting a neighbor. Now, some of your neighbors may be church members. Some of them may be lost people. Some of you may have something where you just don't get along with your neighbor. Well, perfect. This is great because I believe the Lord says every single person is invited. And they may never come to church service, but I'll tell you what, they'll be really hard to pass up a free meal in your home. Hey, we're barbecuing some hot dogs and hamburgers. Come on over. If you want to really make it worth your while, we're going to get some steaks. Doesn't matter what you're presenting, but it's the welcome invitation to come and be. And then finally, if you're like, I can't do one, I can't do two, that's scary. Okay, number three is for you then. I, I hope every single person tries for every one of these. And even if it takes you a year to do this, keep this on your heart. But we're inviting someone to our churchwide fellowship on November 21st. We've lined our series up to where the very last Sunday is Thanksgiving dinner here at the church. And I've already talked with Sandy. I said we may blow out, okay, the numbers on that morning. We may be feeding triple the amount of people. And she gave me the thumbs up. Let's do it. Because guess what? We want people who come into this church building to feel like they belong. We want them to feel connected. We want them to see the love of Jesus. We want them to know that they're invited and they're welcome, not just to this church, but to follow him as their Savior and Lord. And so whether that person comes that day, you may ask 15 people, they all say, no, keep inviting. Keep inviting. Some will say they're too busy. That's okay. But I believe that this is something that the Lord values. Us setting aside time for fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. For inviting those people into our life that we maybe didn't think we had time for. But man, here it is. And hopefully over the next little bit, you're going to just be thinking about this table. Not this one. But the table where you belong. Something we want to do always here at the Ridge Church, um, transitioning for just a second, is we have different brothers and sisters always who are going through so much. And if we're going to talk about this being a place to belong, right, we bear one another's burdens. And so we've got a brother um, who's going to be having surgery, John uh, McCurdy, this week. And so we're going to bring him down because we believe what God's word says in James chapter 5, verse 14. If anyone among you is sick, let him call on the members of the church, the elders, right? And it says we anoint him and we pray. And so before we transition to our last song, um, we're going to have John come down to the front. If you feel led, 
I want you to come up here. I want you to lay hands on him. We're going to have someone put oil. If you don't feel led to come down and be right here physically, we're going to give about 30 seconds to a minute for every single person in this room to pray. And we know that there's probably many other people. And so if you feel like you need to be prayed over this morning, you have something that's burdening you, you've got something huge coming up in your life, this is your invitation too. We want to be people of God's word. We want to follow it. We want to believe because God's word says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it according to your will and in your name. That's what it says. So John, come on down at this moment. I think Pastor Roger's gonna come as well. Katie. And we're asking God for a miracle. We're praying. So if you would come and if you wanna join, everyone else go ahead and stand. And even if you just wanna extend a hand this morning and just pray for our brother in Christ. anyone else who would come this morning and go I need prayer or maybe you just you don't feel comfortable coming up here but you would raise your hand and say I need prayer this morning and just the people around you would pray for you there's power in the blood maybe someone needs to come this morning and accept that invitation to be his you've lived your life and you feel completely unworthy by the things that you've done but this morning you say Lord I'm laying my life down I'm repenting of my sin I'm confessing it Lord I believe as scripture says Lord I choose to follow you or anyone who needs to make that known today. I'm going to be up here on the front. And as David leads the group in a song, if you need to just come and talk, turn the mic off. I'll pray for you then.